0: My brothers and sisters, our Gospel this morning addresses a question that, given human experience in general, is only natural to ask. Why so much evil in the world? Didn't God create the world good? Why then is God's good world full of so much evil? Is God responsible for all this evil? The parable of the wheat and the weeds is Jesus' response to this question. From this parable, we learn a few important things. First of all, let's note how the parable features not just one main character, but two. On the one hand, we've got the man who sows the wheat. That's Christ. He's the good guy who's responsible for the good in the world. But then there's this shadowy figure who comes on the scene secretly and sows the weeds. That's the devil. And his seed symbolizes the people in this world who do what is evil. So why so much evil in the world? Well, when we ask this question, we've got to be careful who we blame. So often people are quick to point the finger at God. But most of this world's evil has been inspired by the devil and has been committed by us human beings. Well, someone might say, Okay, I see how most of the evil in the world is committed by human beings, but isn't God all powerful? I mean, couldn't he just stop it? Why does he permit it to take place? Well, that's a better question. When considering the problem of evil in our world, we shouldn't ask why God did this or that evil thing, but why God permitted this or that evil thing to happen. In the parable, it's the enemy who's responsible for sowing the weeds. The good guy just permits the weeds to grow for a while. Okay, so now that we've phrased the question a little more accurately, let's answer it. Why does God permit evil? Let's look again at our parable, this time at its ending. His slave said to him, Do you want us to go and pull the weeds up? He replied, No, if you pull the weeds you might uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. The good guy's servants are a lot like us when we ask, God, why do you permit all this evil? Why don't you just get rid of it all? But the reply to the servants is what God would also say to us. If you pull up the weeds, you'll accidentally pull up the wheat. You see, the roots of both the wheat and the weeds are intertwined. You pull up the bad, you'll lose the good. In this world, good and evil are so tied up together that oftentimes, if you didn't have to endure the bad, you couldn't enjoy the good. And this is what St. Thomas Aquinas meant when he said, without the cruelty of the tyrants, we would not have the patience of the martyrs. Here's an illustration of this point. The week before last, I did my yearly retreat at a Franciscan friary down by Binghamton. It was five days of silence. I stayed all alone in a little hermitage out in the woods. The walls of this hermitage were all bare except for a crucifix and a picture of St. Maximilian Kolbe, the famous Franciscan who was killed in Auschwitz during World War II. So my retreat, as I said, was a silent one, except that when I looked upon the face of St. Maximilian in his picture, it was as if I could hear him speaking to me. Here's his story. When he was just a boy, he had a vision of the Mother of God holding out to him two crowns, one white, the other red. He recounted, quote, She asked if I was willing to accept either of these crowns. The white one meant that I should persevere in purity. The red, that I should become a martyr. I said I would accept them both. St. Maximilian went on to live an extraordinary life. He joined the Franciscans when he was just 16. In Rome, he earned two doctorates. He taught, he wrote, he did missionary work in Japan and India. Back in his native Poland, he built a new friary that housed 760 friars. From there, he set up a a printing press and began circulating 11 different religious newspapers reaching over a million people. In the early stages of World War II when the Nazis invaded Poland, he sheltered over 3,000 refugees, 2,000 of which were Jewish people. For this, his community soon came under suspicion of the Nazis. Early in 1941, he was arrested and sent to Auschwitz. Upon arrival... Each prisoner lost their individual names and titles of respect. They were all given impersonal numbers. No longer was it Father Colby. It was prisoner number 1,667. The prisoners were fed watery coffee in the morning and a ration of thin soup and bread in the evening. They slept on wooden pallets, one blanket per eight men. Their work was brutal. They were beaten and whipped. Under these conditions, they often lost their moral compass, lying, stealing, betraying, and even killing each other just to survive. But St. Maximilian colby was different. While others pushed and shoved to get ahead in the soup line, he would stand aside and wait until everyone else was served. He often shared his bread with children or weaker prisoners. He went without medical care and attention so that others could receive them. He did all he could to exercise his priestly ministry for the good of others. At night, he would move from bunk to bunk, whispering, I am a Catholic priest. Can I do anything for you? In the quiet of the night, prisoners would make their confessions to him, and he in turn would plead with them to forgive and pray for their persecutors. In Auschwitz, to discourage escapes, there was a rule. If only a single man escapes, 10 men would be starved to death. In late July 1941, right around this time of the year, in fact, 71 years ago, a man from St. Maximilian's Bunker escaped. The others were rounded up and 10 of them were selected. Among them was a man who cried out, My poor wife, my children, what will become of them? Hearing this, Father coldly stepped forward and said, I am a Catholic priest. Let me take his place. I am old. He is a wife and children. The commandant was astounded, remained silent for a moment, and then, to everyone's amazement, accepted his request. The victims were thrown into an underground bu- bunker and left without food or water. The following testimony was given by one of the prisoners assigned as a janitor. Quote, From the underground cell in which they were shut up, there continually arose the echo of prayers and songs. Since they had grown very weak, prayers were now only whispered. At every inspection, when almost all the others were now lying on the floor, Father Colby was seen kneeling or standing in the center as he looked cheerfully in the faces of the SS men. Father Colby never asked for anything and did not complain, but rather encouraged the others. Two weeks passed in this way. One after another, they died until only Father Colby was left. St. Maximilian Colby then finally received from the hand of the Mother of God the Red Crown she had offered to him when he was just a child. After two weeks of no food or water, Father Colby was still alive, but there was a problem. The cell was needed for new victims. So he was given an injection with carbolic acid. With a prayer on his lips, he gave his arm to the executioner and died with a face that was calm and radiant. Father Colby was executed on August 14, 1941, the day before the feast of the Assumption of Mary. My brothers and sisters, let us ask ourselves whether without the weeds of Nazi tyranny... We could have ever seen the wheat of Father Colby's virtue and self-sacrificing love. In this world, evil and good are so often intertwined that if God took away the evil, the good would also be lost. Now, it's true that sometimes in the midst of so much evil, it's hard to see the good. But this is where faith comes in. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. And there will come a harvest time when all will be made clear. When the history of this world comes to a close on Judgment Day, we will see with perfect clarity the good that God was able to bring about only because He permitted evil. Until then, our job is not to question how God manages the world, but to make sure we are not a weed, but a head of wheat so that at last we can be harvested and gathered into the kingdom of heaven.